me ill. My name's Pauline, and I'm the host of Hello, Podcast Here, an Avatar podcast party. Every Wednesday, I'll talk about an episode of Avatar The Last Airbender and highly overanalyze a children's animation TV show from the mid to late 2000s. So, crack open some cactus juice and let's get started. Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast, episode 12 of Hello Podcast Here. My name is Pauline and I'm the host. Hope everyone's doing well. By the time you're listening to this, it will be September. So happy September. I hope that September is better than all the other months that we have just endured. So yeah, I'm excited because I love fall. Fall is like my favorite season. It's just, it's great. It's a great time. I love the weather. I love the colors. I love the holidays. I love everything. So I am, I'm so over the heat and the humidity. So I'm excited. But, but yeah, I hope everyone has a great September. August ended terribly, I, I think, in my opinion. Um, just, you know, with everything that's been going on and with Chadwick Boseman, I mean, oof. That that hit hard. I, I I think, in my opinion, um, just because it's I don't know. He was a real raw talent that was so rare. Everything that he he did, you know, from his acting to his activism to speeches, it's all great. And I, I, I think he will be truly missed. So yeah, if anybody is feeling the way I am, I'm sorry. It's just, it's been, it was really sad. Uh, you know, uh, you know, I, I felt like this when Kobe Bryant died. I'm a huge basketball fan. I love the NBA. I love all of that stuff. And, and Kobe grew up and actually played high school basketball about an hour away from me. So I guess you could say he's like a hometown hero, maybe. Um, but yeah, he's he was great. And I was actually able to see him play his last game in Philly back when he retired. So, or like during his last season, I should say. He wasn't retired at the time. But yeah, he, he and Allen Iverson, Allen Iverson played for the Sixers. They are the ones that really made me fall in love with basketball. So it was really tough to see him pass and really tough to see Chadwick pass. You know, it was very sudden, you know, no one expected it. No one knew, um, which is, you know, totally fine. I mean, it's in his right to keep that private with his family. So, but yeah, just really sad. So Chadwick, you'll be missed. Um, but yeah, if anybody wants to talk about anything, doesn't have to be about Avatar. It can be about Avatar if you want. I am here, so feel free to reach back out if there's anything that you you want to talk about. If you just need someone to talk to and someone to listen, I'm I'm here as well. I don't have to talk. I talk a lot in this podcast, so I, I can... I know how to shut up, so <laughs> I am here if anybody needs me, but... So... Let's just get into it because the last episode was really long. So let me know what you guys thought about having Kevin on. So I've actually had some people reach out about being part of the party, which is really exciting. So I have Vitika coming on and then I believe I have uh, or Danny coming on in a couple weeks. Really exciting stuff. So 
let me know if you want to come on, whether it's for a main episode or a bonus episode. So if there's any ideas that you have for a bonus episode, I'd love to hear it as well. So, but yeah, let's get into the actual episode. So book one, chapter 12, I almost said 10, book one, chapter 12, The Storm, first premiered on June 3rd, 2005. So starting with this episode, and I'll have to see, you know, the rest of them, but the episode's, like, premiere dates stagger. So, like, I think after this, Blue Spirit doesn't premiere for a little while. Um, actually, it might be because they were getting signed for a full season. I'm not entirely sure how that works, but they may have been waiting for, like, contracts or something. But, yeah, first premiere June 3rd, 2005. Writer was Aaron Ehas. Director, Lauren McMullen. Animation was JM Animation. So, summary for this episode. Sorry, I'm moving my mic to be a bit closer to me, so I stop sitting like a pretzel. Summary for this episode. A deadly storm arrives while Sokka signs up to be a fisherman after they realize that they're out of money. Sadly, the fisherman verbally attacks Aang, causing him to face his guilt from a hundred years ago. On the flip side, Zuko lashes out at his crew, and then they proceed to talk shit on him in the boiler room. But then Iroh discovers them, but he also tells them about Zuko's past, including how he got his scar. While the storm causes devastation, Zuko realizes the importance of his crew and helps to save them. And on the other side of it, with Katara's help, Aang saves Sokka and the fishermen out in the ocean. Three fun facts for this episode. The first one is that this is the first time that we hear the one and only Mark Hamill voice fire lord ozai the first time that we hear him and we'll talk about mark hamill later on second fun fact this is the first time that we see zuko without his scar really different you know because you know up until this point we've only seen him with the scar so it's it's really different to see him without it Third fun fact is that the storm has more than one meaning. First off, storm actually literally means the storm that they have in the show, but it also talks about Aang's storm when it comes to being the Avatar and facing that guilt and facing, you know, his feelings about his past and what's happened and what's happened, um, you know, while he was gone. So he has to face that storm. And then on Zuko's side, you you know, he has to face the storm of his own feelings when it comes to his father and what happened to him. And now his destiny to face the Avatar and capture him. So a lot of heavy, heavy stuff here. I just lost my notes. Where are they now? Okay. Some themes we'll focus on in this episode. Obviously, destiny, guilt... And then, it's not really a theme, but it's just something that rarely gets highlighted in, you know, child shows, is abuse. So, we don't actually see Zuko get hit by his father, but I mean, you hear him scream, and then you see what happens to him afterwards. So, we're dealing with some abuse here, people. So, really, really heavy episode, but I love this episode so much, and I know it's a a pretty big favorite for, for some people. So, yeah, let's actually get into the episode. Okay, so, 
This episode starts out with a dream. Super fun. Looks cute at first. Sokka is on the glider, which is funny because he actually does fly on it in The Fortune Teller. But he's flying it on his own. And then Aang is on Appa, and then next to him is Katara flying on Momo. But Momo is like 20 times the size of his usual self. It looks really cute. And then all he hears is Katara saying, we need you. And then a storm comes and then Katara and Sokka disappear. So this dream actually ends up turning into a nightmare, clearly. And Gyatso shows up and he asks, why did you leave Aang? Which is just so sad. And then the storm comes out even more and swallows him and then shows him in the water and he's like drowning and then for a split second it shows Ozai. So clearly Aang has been thinking about his guilt for a while and with the storm coming, I mean, I'm, I'm sure it's triggering all of these feelings for him as well. So Aang wakes up. He does not have a sleeping bag. So they actually talk about this in The Legend of Korra. So airbenders are able to warm themselves with their breath alone, which is really cool if you think about it. And then if you think about how Zuko was in the, like, freezer cell in the Boiling Rock, he was able to warm himself with his breath as well. So Iroh, when he was teaching him all of those things about all the other nations, like, I'm sure Iroh told him about airbending and how you can use your breath to warm yourself. And that's what he did. So... Yeah, that's what Aang does when he's sleeping. He's able to warm himself and Katara and Sokka are, like, bundled up in these huge water tribe, like, wool sleeping bags. <laughs> yeah, so Aang wakes up and now, you know, he's falling back asleep. It was just a dream. Nothing to worry about. And then poor Sokka asks if they want to hear about his dream and they completely ignore him. And he plays it off as if, oh, I whatever, I didn't want to talk about it anyways. No one... No one needs to know it. <laughs> I am literally Sokka all the time because I just always feel like I'm bothering people when I talk to them, which is kind of why I started this podcast because I was afraid I was bothering so many people talking about Avatar. So I'm literally Sokka all the time where I'm like, oh, wait, never mind. You don't want to know about that. And I just, I don't share. Now it's the morning. Aang is like, whoa, my nightmare is not real. There's no storm. Look, it's clear skies. Or so he thinks. Honestly, that's kind of how the storms are here. When it's about to rain, like, it's super, super sunny. Like, not a cloud in sight. And then, like, an hour later, it's, like, downpouring and I'll lose power. Which is what happened last week. One thing that I noticed here that they'll do a lot, and I think, I think they did this in, when was it? I think it was episode two, where they use Appa's tail as, like, an elevator. <laughs> <laughs> so they start walking on it and he like lifts them up to go sit in his saddle. So very cute. Sokka ends up sharing some of his dream. And he says that food eats people. And the animation and sound effects here, like when it gets all green and that weird like UFO type of sound. It reminds me of Ember Island players when Sokka thinks that the play just like transported them into the future. <laughs> same, same type of deal. 
Oh, and I got an Ember Island shirt from Box Lunch Gifts, and I'm really happy about it. It has, like, a Fire Nation symbol on the front, and then on the back it says Ember Island. Really cool. <laughs> oh, and apparently Momo was mean in Sokka's dream. I don't think Momo can be mean. He's so cute. <laughs> My friend from high school said that she prefers Pabu from The Legend of Korra over Momo. And I'm like, whoa, that's a that's a hot take right there. Like, uh, <laughs> I I don't know if I agree with that, but uh, we can talk about that later. <laughs> but yeah, apparently Momo was talking in Sokka's dream if he was being mean, and we actually do see Momo talk in Aang's dream in Nightmares and Daydreams. But when he gets really sad, his ears droop down and. <laughs> It reminded me of when Sokka was telling Momo that he had big ears instead of him and imprisoned. <laughs> Poor Momo. Always getting picked on. Now to the B story. So the A story and B story don't really collide in this episode. Only for like a couple seconds at the end. Yeah, so Zuko and Iroh are out on the ship and Iroh can like smell the storm, I guess. I know that like rain has like a smell to it. Like, after it rains, you know, there's a, a certain smell, but I don't think I've ever been able to smell a storm. But, I mean, Iroh is, is something else, so I guess he just has that, that kind of power where he can smell it. <laughs> Zuko's like, well, I don't give a shit because our priority is to find the Avatar, not to save our crew members. So, Lieutenant G overhears this and is kind of annoyed. Like, I would be too if my boss said, I don't care about you, like, we have to get this done. Honestly, I had a boss before that said that, so I know how it feels, and it's not good. <laughs> but yeah, this guy, his name is Lieutenant G, and Zuko actually trains with him when it comes to firebending, so. But yeah, Lieutenant G hears, it, hears this, and he's... He's annoyed. And honestly, Izuka, that was a fucked up thing to say because they could die in the storm and you just said you don't care. One thing that I noticed, and it's ever so slightly, three minutes, 45 seconds, Zuko's ponytail disappears, leaving him just like completely bald. It's like right before they transition to a close-up of Iroh, but he's bald. Now they're at the fruit stand and this lady is trying to sell them like dank fruit. And then the watermelon is, like, super slushy. I don't think watermelons are supposed to be like that. I don't eat watermelon, but I don't think watermelons are supposed to be fully liquid. I don't think that's right, lady. I think your your fruit sucks. But, you know, she's, you know, selling them because Aang believes her. and But they don't even have any money, so they just wasted her time. But then she goes and kicks Sokka in the, in the butt. <laughs> so mean. I, I thought that she was gonna whack him with the basket that he took from her, but no, she kicked him. <laughs> but now they're overhearing this couple fighting, and this fisherman is yelling at his wife, who also happens to be his fish hauler, and he calls her a woman and says that she's nagging. And right off the bat, I did not like this fisherman at all. And, you know, later on, my, my suspicion is confirmed. He sucks. But this lady says that there's going to be a storm. And Aang's like, fuck, my dream or my nightmare. It's coming true. And she's rubbing her hands as if her joints are hurting. So I'm assuming that she has some sort of arthritis. 
And I did a deep dive on this, on the relationship between barometric pressure and joint pain. So all in all, the research on the connection between the two is quite unclear. So barometric pressure is the pressure of the air and it can affect your joints, but so can humidity, precipitation, and temperature, which is everything that a storm entails. So it's hard to pinpoint if pressure is the sole variable that affects the joints. And I don't know if you can naturally eliminate the other three variables in order to pinpoint just pressure. From WebMD, and again, WebMD, I know people say some things about them, uh, but they said that previous research hasn't been too great because of a small sample survey. Or no, a small sample survey size. That is a tongue twister. Small sample survey size. Eh, actually, no, not that hard. <laughs> but yeah, so in college, fun fact, I did research in the neurocognition lab. So I worked on memory, both short-term and long-term, and how it affects your, your brain. So research is a big thing to me. I love research. I think it's fantastic. But it's interesting that the the research for the connection between the two things is, is inconclusive. So, but yeah, a small sample survey is never a good thing because you're only exposed to a certain, like, percentage of the population. It's not representative of the entirety of the population that has joint pain during storms. And also surveys, like, depending on how you write them, the types of questions you ask, how long it is, how you present it, can affect the output. So, and it also, the types of people that take surveys is, is different. You know, someone that is willing to go out of their way to answer something, or if it's just so seamless to where it only takes like two minutes, like depending on how you write it, it always leads to a different, different outcome. But so there are theories. And again, these are theories are not confirmed, but it's what I read online. So arthritis, which is what this like Fisher Holler lady probably has. So arthritis is when the cartilage that cushions your bones is essentially gone. So the nerves in your bones are now like exposed. So they might be picking up on the pressure change. People also say that pressure might make our muscles and tendons expand and contract a lot more. So that might be why you're you're feeling some pressure because your your muscles are changing. And low temperature can also make the fluid within your joints feel a bit more stiff. So, again, theories, nothing confirmed. All I know is that arthritis is not something to fuck with because my boyfriend's family, like, they all have arthritis and it does not look fun. But has anybody actually felt pain due to weather? I would love to, to hear your experience with this. For me, at least, I typically get migraines. I don't. Well, actually, no. In colder temperatures, especially if I'm outside and it's it's raining, my back tends to hurt a lot. I don't know why. Maybe it's because of this stuff. But yeah, I, I typically get migraines during cloudy, rainy types of weather. Like this past weekend, I had a migraine. But I get migraines for many different reasons. So it, migraines are not fun. If someone has never had a migraine, you are so lucky but they are bad. I had one yesterday and I was, I, I couldn't move. Like I was just laying in bed and like face down because the sun and like any type of light made my eyes hurt. And then 
made my head hurt even more and it was just not a fun time. But Excedrin migraine, everyone, that's what you, that's what I use for my migraines and they tend to work. It's just, for those of you that don't know what Excedrin is, it's like straight up caffeine pills. So you are super jittery. Yeah, I took two of them and they're, they're really strong. Yeah, if you get migraines and if you're not allergic to acetaminophen and caffeine, Excedrin migraine typically works for me. But if anybody else has an alternative to migraine relief, please let me know because I would love to rely on something else rather than these hard medications. Anyways, this is not what we came here for. <laughs> We're here for Avatar. So, this fisherman lady, fisher lady, fisherwoman, this fisherwoman is making Aang so scared because she's like freaking out about the storm that's not even here yet. But Sokka ends up replacing her with the fisherman. And this fisherman goes back on his word, says that he's not going to pay Sokka, which is so shitty because like you literally just said that you're going to pay someone double. And now you're like, what? No, never said that. Like, shut up. <laughs> but so it flips back over to... Zuko's ship, and I'm assuming that they're getting hit with the storm first rather than where Aang and, and all of them are, but the storm is here, and G is poking fun at Zuko, saying your uncle was right. Zuko's like, you gotta learn some respect, and they just kind of go at it, and I like that G calls Iroh his esteemed uncle, which is, which is nice. So people really respect Iroh, which is good for, for him at least, but yeah, this guy, like, really hit a nerve with Zuko because he puts his hands up and challenges him to a duel. They they meet hands and Zuko literally has steam coming out of his hand. I love that. I love that little detail because it's just a great way to show how Zuko just can't control his anger right now. And, you know, later on he'll he'll be able to, but I just, I think it's great to see that he's not fully tethered <laughs> right now. And this guy really made him angry, which I mean, yeah, I'd be pretty pissed too. But at the same time, Zuko, you said some really shitty things. So I don't know. I see both sides, but okay. So during this scene, like while he's yelling, while Zuko is up in G's face and he walks away, Five minutes, 44 seconds, Zuko's turtleneck under his armor disappears, but then it reappears. Typically, he wears, like, this gray-black uh, turtleneck underneath his armor, and he... It, it's there in the beginning of the scene, and then disappears in the middle, and then it's back at the end, so... <laughs> I don't know. But Iroh steps in, and he recommends noodles. I would wholeheartedly agree with that. I think noodles, I think soup, food in general is a great way to bring people together. So Iroh, Iroh knows what's up, but Zuko does not care. Zuko gets pissed that he intervened because it's his ship. He's the one in charge and Iroh's just kind of butting in, in his point of view. Sokka and the fishermen are ready to leave. Well, actually, no, they're not ready yet. They're, like, packing up and, and about to leave. One thing that I notice here while they're packing is that Appa is just, like, docked on, like, by the pier <laughs> as if he's a boat. But really, he's just sitting there and is just in the water, well immersed within the water. 
But the lady is saying, you gotta listen to the boy with the tattoos. Like, he is right. Like, we should not be going out in the storm. It's really dangerous. And then Fisherman's like, what boy with tattoos? Oh my god, you're the fucking Avatar. And he does not like him. This guy, like, accuses Aang of turning his back on everybody. And, you know, the the world has suffered so much with the war. And... Katara then comes to his defense, but poor Aang. This is, I I mean, so this guy is probably saying things that Aang has thought himself, but has never heard anyone say it out loud, especially to him. So it's probably really difficult for Aang to to hear all of this and, and sad, very sad. So Aang runs off and then Katara runs off with Appa. And they leave Sokka alone with the fisherman, and they don't even say bye. Poor Sokka. No one wants to hear his story. No one wants to hear his dream. No one's listening to Sokka in this episode, which is so unfortunate. Because I I would love to hear both of those things, because I think they would be fun. (laughs) So Katara is flying on Appa. She's trying to find where Aang went. Honestly, like, it's pouring rain, and she kind of looks dry. But... And that's something that I noticed throughout this entire episode is that people are drawn to look dry. So she finds him and he's in this cave up in this like mountain. She looks dry. <laughs> Maybe she was waterbending and took the water out of her clothes. I don't know. Like Kind of like how she did with that scroll. Aang looks dry too. But maybe he did the same thing. So 18, or not 18, we're not there yet. Eight minutes, 19 seconds, Katara's shadow is cascading over Aang as he's, like, sitting with his back to her. And her shadow should be covering the entirety of his back, but it's not. Because instead of her shadow, it's the rain's shadow that's on his back. But that, like, does not make sense at all. Because her shadow should have been able to block the rain's shadow... And would have cascaded over Aang. I don't know. But yeah, they're both completely dry. Except for Appa. Appa's completely wet. Katara says she's gonna make a fire. So I'm assuming Appa has all the supplies for the fire. One thing I noticed here is that Appa is willingly in the cave. And did not put up a fight. But maybe his phobia of caves started after the Cave of Two Lovers. When they were trapped in there. Because I would be totally scared too. If I was that large of an animal. And trapped and feeling claustrophobic. So I get it, Appa. I get it. So now Aang is talking about when he found out that he was the Avatar. And this is the first time that we actually see a full-length flashback of his time in the Southern Air Temple. We saw some of it before, like when he was sitting with Gyatso and they threw the cakes, but this is like a full-blown flashback. It starts out with these two monks sitting on a ledge and playing their version of rock, paper, scissors. So we do see Aang and Sokka play rock, paper, scissors in, I forget what episode, it's in Bossing Say where they're waiting for Katara and Toph to finish getting ready for the Earth King's party for his pet bear. But the rock, paper, scissors in the Avatar universe is modeled after the Avatar cycle from what I read, although I don't know if it's entirely true or even accurate, 
So, water beats earth, earth beats fire, fire beats air, and then air beats water. Personally, I think it should be a whole other arrangement, but apparently that's that's how it goes. I don't know. Who knows? Aang is teaching everybody how to do the air scooter, and it looks a lot harder than, than it really is. But Aang created this move himself, and apparently this is what helped him get his airbending tattoos. So, from what I read on Avatar Wiki, shout out Avatar Wiki, I get a lot of my information from you guys. Um, to get an air, to get the airbending tattoos and to become an airbending master, you have to complete 36 airbending moves. And because Aang created this one, he was able to, to get his tattoos. Like, he, so he completed apparently 35 of the 36 and made this one up. So, which is honestly pretty useful because he's able to get away from a lot of things pretty quick. In The Legend of Korra, he further advances this air scooter into something much larger where he's able to stand and surf on it, which is pretty cool, instead of sitting with his legs crossed. But So he's teaching the kids the air scooter, and then the Council of Elders show up and take him away. He looks like he's going to be in trouble, but really he's not. <laughs> so each air temple has a council of elders. So north and south, they have monks. And then, I don't know the exact term from it. I, I swear I read it was nuns, but I'm not entirely sure. But east and west, they have female airbending uh, masters as their council of elders. So the council of elders tell him that he's the avatar, and they... Tell him the process. So, the monks presented him with the toys that he chose as a child, which are the Avatar relics. So, the Avatar relics are four ancient toys used by air nomads to find the next Avatar. So, when Avatar Roku died, all of the air nomad temples were instructed to do this process to find the Avatar. So... Each avatar relic represents one of the four nations and used to belong to a previous avatar. And then apparently if the kids choose the four, the correct four, then it's a strong indication that they are the avatar because they chose what is most familiar to them. And this process is further highlighted in the Kyoshi novels. So a little backstory, I have not read the entire thing yet, but Kyoshi was homeless and she took the turtle duck, but she was afraid to take anything more because she was she didn't want to get in trouble. So she took it and then ran away. Apparently, no other kid had gone anywhere near the turtle duck. So she was the first one. And she was, she was not discovered that, that she was the avatar until well after this process. Kids will have like thousands of toys to choose from. They're all perfectly lined up um, on the floor and they have to, to take a look and they have to pick four. So the old relics were a stuffed hog monkey, the clay turtle duck, a whirly gig, and a drum. And then what we see is a wooden hog monkey, a wooden hand drum, the clay turtle duck flute, and a whirly gig, which is what Aang picks up in the scene and it starts to fly around. This test is actually modeled after the Tibetan tradition of finding the Dalai Lama. So for the Dalai Lama, they 
same thing, they lay different articles across, and if the boy chooses the right one, then it's a sign that they are indeed the reincarnation of the previous Dalai Lama. So, with the Dalai Lama, they are found instead of chosen. Kind of like this, you know, with, with the avatar. So, current Dalai Lama, he's the 14th one. It took four years to find him, which is much longer than the previous ones. Apparently, it took... It usually takes between two to three, but his name is Tenzin Gyatso. I hope that sounds familiar to you. So clearly, Monk Gyatso is named after after him, and Aang's son in the Legend of Korra, Tenzin, is named after him. And I know there's some like, I guess there's some drama with the the Dalai Lama right now because he is not in China anymore. I'm pretty sure he's in India, and he said that the next Dalai Lama might or can be reincarnated in India. I gotta do some more research on him. But fun fact, he came to my college. And my manager, when I was a student worker, actually went to go see him. And I'm really surprised that he chose our college to go to because there are other colleges, like, pretty... Like, so, my college is, is pretty close to the University of Pennsylvania, which is, you know, a globally known institution. It's one of the Ivy League schools. So I don't know why he didn't go there. And he just, like, he came to our school. I don't know. I have no idea. Really weird. Anyways, so the Council of Elders tell Aang that he's the Avatar much earlier than they should have. Because they're supposed to tell him when he turns 16. So most Avatars do find out who they are at 16. Like Roku. And they literally told Roku on his 16th birthday. Like, at his birthday party with Sozin. So there are two exceptions to this. One being Aang because of the storms and the war going on, like, they need to train him much earlier so that he's able to help defeat the Fire Lord and Fire Nation much quicker. And then Korra. So, I know a lot of people don't like this, but she was a gifted bender, and so she was able to bend earth, fire, and water at a really young age. So, she figured it out pretty quickly on her own. So, all right, so that's the process for finding the Avatar. It's, it's, lengthy but and and complicated but i don't think it is but can you imagine trying to find the next earthbending avatar because earth kingdom is fucking huge they could be anywhere and as far as we're concerned air nomads and airbenders only live at the four air temples so there's a strong indication that they will be there and with waterbending i mean there weren't any waterbenders in the Southern Water Tribe, unfortunately, so they probably wouldn't look there. But, you know, the only other waterbenders are in the north and then Foggy Swamp. So, I feel like it would be so difficult to find the next, like, earthbending avatar. That, that would just take, like, years, I think. Anyways... So, the crew shipmen are in the boiler room talking shit on Zuko when Uncle Iroh walks in and they're all like, oh, fuck, we're gonna get in so much trouble, but Iroh doesn't care. So, he then tells them about Zuko's past and hope that they can resonate with this and understand his nephew a bit more. So, now it's time for Zuko's flashback. So, he's 13 years old, there's no scar, and he has such a cute cowlick on his head. He's trying to get into the war room to attend the war meeting, but he's not allowed. But then Iroh then is able to, to get the guards to let him in. So now they're in the war room. This is the first time that we see it, and we do see it again later on. 
this is part of the palace that they live in. And so there are, it's like this huge, huge room with like a, a narrow hallway with pillars. And then the generals sit around a map. And then up the steps is where Fire Lord Ozai sits. So he sits in this little cushioned area and he sits behind a huge wall of fire. Bu Jing, one of the generals that's at the meeting, suggests that they use new recruits to distract the earthbending army so that their actual troops can go and sneak in behind and attack from there. And Zuko hates this idea. So he speaks out and he shows compassion for these these new recruits and everybody is stunned. Everyone's like, are you really showing affection? Are you, why would you suggest that? So it's such a cruel idea, but no one speaks out against generals, especially people that are, are much lower, like Prince Zuko. Even though he's a crown prince, he's still not supposed to speak out against them. So whew, the room goes quiet and we'll see what happens later on. So, going back to Aang, he was not excited to be the Avatar because once he found out, everything started to change. And the other benders at his temple start to exclude him from their games and hanging out, which to me does not make sense because clearly he's been the Avatar this entire time. So now that he knows, like, you're, you're going to exclude him? If anything, I would have excluded him once he got his airbending tattoos because that would make it an unfair advantage. Not being the Avatar, but even so, I wouldn't even exclude him at all. Like, if, if you could do, like, five versus seven or something like that, if it, that would make a difference at all, but it, it, it doesn't. So... I don't understand these kids' logic at all, but, I mean, whatever. Whatever. And then Jinju. I don't understand the point of Jinju. Because he's, like, sitting there, he's all dusty and not clean. What was the point of him? I didn't find him funny. What, like, was he supposed to be funny? Because I don't know. I didn't find him very funny. <laughs> you can tell I, I feel very strongly about how these kids treated Aang. Because I don't like it at all. I think it's it's stupid. So now Aang only has Monk Gyatso to hang out with. So he's playing Pai Show in his room with Gyatso. I would have, I would think that Gyatso would be part of the White Lotus for sure. If he was around during the White Lotus, he would for sure be an esteemed brother, kind of like Iroh. But anyways, Pai Show is played by all nations. I guess that's why the White Lotus group uses Pai Show for their, their strategy. So, Gyatso and Aang spend a lot of time together, and you can see that here. You can see that before when they were making cakes, but Gyatso was like his dad. So, you know, once Aang was born, like, I, I'm pretty sure he's, like, taken away from his parents to go live at the air temple. So, he doesn't have parents, and Gyatso's his guardian, closest thing he has to a dad. Tashi, the other monk, opens the door, comes in, and says that, you know, Aang needs to train. Why are you playing with him? He's super angry. But Gyatso's like, nope, I'm the guardian, so he's staying with me. So Tashi disappears, but so does the door. So he, like, swung open the door when he came in, and when he leaves, the door's not there anymore. So Aang is happy, but little does he know what's going to happen after that. So flipping back over to the other tragedy... <laughs> We're back in the war room. 
Zuko slowly turns around to meet his father's eyes, and Ozai is pissed. The wall of fire grows immensely in response to Ozai's anger. So the only way to resolve this disrespect is through an Agni Kai. So Agni Kai, fire duel, place is packed. The only way to really end an Agni Kai is through death, like if you kill the person, or if you make your mark through a burn, which is what happens here. Zuko is wearing traditional Agni Kai clothing, you know, the the armbands, the the wrap, I guess, that you put over your shoulders beforehand, then you let it fall, and then the pants, no shoes, and he's fully expecting Bujang to be on the other side. You know, he thinks that he can take him, but turns out it's his dad, it's Fire Lord Ozai. When he starts to tear up, when he realizes that it's his dad, like, it breaks me every time. It makes me so sad. <laughs> so sad. Speaking of sad, so Tashi and Gyatso are now talking to the head monk of the Southern Air Temple. And he decides it's best for Aang to be moved to the Eastern Air Temple where he won't have any distractions, where he can complete his airbending training and continue his, his journey as the Avatar. Somehow, they don't realize that Aang is listening in behind them. I thought the hole in the wall was, like, large because you can see the majority of Aang's body through it. So, if that's possible, how could they not see him? And also, wouldn't his shadow be shown, like, on the ground as well? I don't know. Whatever. But the look on Aang's face when he realizes he's going to be separated from Gyatso breaks me every time. Because can you imagine hearing that you're going to be taken away from your dad? Or, like, your guardian that's basically your dad? Like, I, I would... I'd be heartbroken. And the fact that he's listening in and is hearing it from this meeting and not from Gyatso is, is tough. Ending on a sad note here, but let's take a break. And when we come back, we will break down Aang's departure as well as the Agni Kai. I'm back. And I'm a terrible person. <laughs> I was washing the dishes and one of these glasses that my boyfriend uses for his drinks shattered in the sink. So I feel terrible, but I ordered a replacement. So that should be coming later on. Hopefully it makes up for it, <laughs> but I mean, whatever. So that's what happened. I did not cut my finger as much as I thought. I think I like scraped it a little bit, but I'm not bleeding. So that's good. <laughs> So, where are we now? Okay, so Aang is reliving his past and is super angry that the monks were going to send him away from Gyatso. And in talking about it with Katara, he, like, goes into the Avatar state for a second because of how angry he was and sends these little pieces of fire flying at her. <laughs> so, but... He, he did say that, you know, things were getting better and now it's even worse and then this happens. So he's looking out his window and the kids are all riding their air scooters without him. So he contemplates what he's about to do and then ends up writing a letter to Gyatso saying, I'm leaving. I'm so sorry. Please don't come find me. Maybe he didn't say that last part. I don't know. So... <laughs> My question is, like, how the fuck did no one realize that he left? He's the Avatar. I would have felt like they ha would have some air acolytes or, or just someone 
looking after him at all times. How did they realize that Apo was gone? I think I would notice if a 1010 flying bison was missing from the herd. I just, I, I don't know. I don't know how they realized no one left. Or I don't know how no one realized that he left. I don't. But what's interesting about this next flashback with Gyatso finding the note is that Aang was not here and does not know if he actually knew that this happened. Because for all he knows, Gyatso could have died before he got the note. Very interesting flashback. But then it shows Aang in the storm. How the heck is Appa, like, okay with this? Like, I get that, you know, someone steers him to go wherever he's supposed to go, but I would feel like Appa would just say, nope, not doing this, and then would, like, turn around and leave. But I guess maybe he really doesn't have a say. (laughs) They go into the ocean, they, they're, you know, drowning, but then Aang goes into the Avatar state for probably the first time. So, up until this point, I, I feel like he was just training and solely airbending, because if he was gonna start his Avatar training, he would have gone to the other places around the world. Also, my question for this is, how, would, how were they planning on getting him to learn firebending? if they were at war with the Fire Nation? Like, who in the Fire Nation, or what firebender would have taught him firebending at this time? You know, because... I I don't know. I don't don't know if there was a White Lotus back then. I feel like Iroh created it. Who would have taught Aang firebending during this time? Anyways, I don't think at this point Aang has done anything remotely close to anything like Avatar related. So I guess like the first real thing he does is go into the Avatar state, makes a bubble around him and Appa and essentially an iceberg and is frozen for a hundred years. That's pretty epic for your first thing as a as the Avatar. But then when he wakes up, he's in Katara's arms. So that hundred year sleep passed and... Now he realizes what went on while he was gone. So Aang is now talking about his guilt. You know, his people died and he wasn't there to save them. The world has been struggling for a hundred years and he wasn't there to save them. And he feels as though they're struggling because he wasn't there. Like, maybe he could have stopped the Fire Lord at that time. But, and he's just, he's really believing in what the fisherman has said about him and not listening to... Katara at this moment. But Katara, you know, sits him down. She says that he gives people hope. And this, this makes him feel better. So now Momo also comforts him. (laughs) And he like runs into his lap, which is so cute. (laughs) What's not cute is on the other side with Zuko literally on the ground begging for mercy. I don't know if anyone else noticed this, but you can see the, the audience a little bit clearer and they're all wearing clothes from the different nations like some people are wearing red some are wearing blue some are wearing yellow and some are wearing green so i don't know if um the animators and the artists were just trying to diversify the the audience but i don't know i just i thought everybody in the fire nation only wore fire nation colors like red gold black i think that's it <laughs> so I don't think people from the other nations would be invited to be there. I would only assume just, like, people high up within the Fire Nation and, like, the the nobility, I guess. 
Zuko is coming to terms with the fact that he has to battle with his father, Ozai. So again, we only see him as a silhouette. And from what we see, he is extremely muscular, extremely menacing, and a very bad dad. So Ozai, Fire Lord Ozai, Phoenix King Ozai, Loser Lord Ozai is voiced by none other than Mark Hamill. So Mark is great. He has done so much work within the voice acting industry. Uh, on IMDb, he had like over 300 things listed under his work. Like, that's so much. He's most well known for voicing the Joker in Batman. He's also vo- voiced like Peter Parker in some Marvel stuff. He was on a regular show. He's pretty much been on like every famous cartoon, if you will. Um, But besides voice acting, you know, he is also known for being Luke Skywalker in the Star Wars um, world. So he was in the original trilogy. He was in the last trilogy. I don't know. So I I think there's a new trilogy coming out. Like, I think there's going to be another one with Taika Waititi. So Taika's really cool. He has done, you know, a lot of stuff. So Taika actually did the last two episodes of The Mandalorian, I believe. And then he did Thor Ragnarok. He also did Jojo Rabbit. He's done a lot. Taika's cool. I like Taika. But we're not here to talk about Taika. We're talking about Mark Hamill. So yeah, Mark Hamill is in this series. And he has kind of talked about Avatar, like, here and there. He he said he's never watched an episode of it, so he has no idea what it's really about. <laughs> but he did go to, like, the rap parties from, from what I've heard, so. But Zuko, again, is literally on the floor, on his knees, begging for mercy, and is refusing to fight, which is considered disrespectful during an Agni Kai, especially against the Fire Lord. Ozai says you know, suffering's gonna be your teacher, which I found very interesting because when Zuko confronts him during the day of Black Sun, Zuko says that he had to teach everything himself. So, in a way, him suffering this and, and, you know, going through his banishment and his scar, he really has learned a lot. But not only that, he had his Uncle Iroh to guide him along the way. So, I I thought that was interesting. But then it pans over to, o- or not Ozai, it pans over to Iroh in the crowd, and he, he can't watch his, his nephew get burned in, in the face, and I, I couldn't either, but if you looked closely during this shot, so Iroh's standing there, but to his left is, I guess at this point he's Commander Zhao, yeah, he's Commander Zhao, and then Bujing, the general, that Zuko spoke out against was behind him. And then to his right is Princess Azula. So she does not have any lines here, but this is her her first official episode appearance, even though she is in the title sequence as the firebender. But the fact that she is this happy to see her brother get burned is really quite frightening. And she is, at this point in time, between the ages of 11 to 12. 
but this is not the first time that she smiles during someone's suffering. You know, she she is smiling during Azulan's funeral. But yeah, Zuko gets burned and you hear him screaming, which is... This is such a heavy moment in the episode because it's it's clear abuse from a parent. And you don't see it, but you can hear it in his voice so that it's it's bad. Apparently, this was Dante Bosco's favorite episode because he got to record with Mark Hamill in the booth alone. So apparently Mark like came in, did the lines, and just like, just left. <laughs> Didn't say anything else. But can you imagine how Iroh must be feeling at this moment? Because I've seen people give him a lot of shit for, for not stepping in and not doing anything here. But my question is, and if you're one of those people, let me know. Like, what could he have done? Like, what would you have wanted him to do? Because if he stepped in, I I think he would have had to do the Agni Kai himself against Ozai because, again, that's not Agni Kai etiquette, I guess. He probably could have beat Ozai, in my opinion, but still. Like, (laughs) I don't think it would have gone well if he had stepped in. But he probably feels so helpless. Or, instead of dwelling on everything, I I think he uses Zuko's banishment as an opportunity to help his nephew. It's not clear, like, I don't know if Ozai ordered Iroh to go with Zuko for his banishment, or if Iroh just did it willingly, or if he was obligated to because he was his firebending mentor. I don't know, but I'm glad that Iroh took this as an opportunity to help his nephew. And we do see... Zuko and Iroh, like, a week after his banishment at the Western Air Temple, like, during a flashback there. So, Iroh kind of indicates, you know, this is going to be a great path for you. You're going to be able to understand your own destiny. In my opinion, I think Iroh, like, volunteered to go with him. But, randomly, I, I noticed this, and I posted this on my Instagram, 18 minutes, 18 seconds... When Iroh looks away and you feel the fire and the, the light is shining on them, Iroh's bun is see-through. So you can see Bujing's ear through it, which should not be happening. <laughs> so I always thought that Zuko's scar kind of looked like a handprint. My theory is that Ozai slapped him across the face instead of just like throwing a fire flame at him. My theory is kind of strengthened during the finale. So when Aang finally accesses the Avatar state after hitting his chakra, Ozai is about to smack him in the face with a fireball. So that is how I imagined Zuko getting this scar because it looks pretty similar the way that he's about to hit him. I think it's the same way he he would have hit Zuko. So... But can you imagine the healing process for that? I mean, my god. Like, I've had, I've, I've had some pretty bad burns before, but not on my face. And I feel like the skin on your face is much more delicate compared to the rest of your body. So, and a lot more sensitive, I might add. So, it, it's a lot thinner and more sensitive. So, I just, I can't imagine the healing process for that. We do see him, again, in that flashback, the Western Air Temple, where he has... Uh, a bandage on it. So I have no idea how the healing process would be for that. I imagine it to be painful and gruesome and sad. 
Okay, so once Iroh is done talking about this and is done his story, Lieutenant G comes in and he says, I thought Zuko was in some sort of training accident. Meaning, Lieutenant G, who is someone that has clearly been in the Fire Nation army for quite some time, has no idea what has happened to the crown prince that he's been serving for the last two and a half years. So, now again, there are hundreds of people in this crowd. You know, high-ranking officials, the noble people of the Fire Nation, other people in the military. Don't you think word would have gotten out, especially to people in the Fire Nation army? Don't you think the men on Zuko's ship would have known about this story? Like, how does Lieutenant G not know? And even in Zuko alone, when he, you know, confesses who he, who his real identity is, that guy, that old guy that's standing on the sidelines that tells him to punch with his left, even that guy knew what, Z- what happened to Zuko. He said... His own father burned him and disowned him. Like, how How does that guy know and not someone that is on Zuko's fucking ship? I don't get it. I don't understand. I really don't. <laughs> if anyone else is confused by this, please let me know. Or if you, you think there's an explanation for it, maybe... Oh, okay. I just thought of something. Maybe it was covered up. Actually, no, that doesn't make any sense because there are hundreds of witnesses. Also, why would Ozai want to cover that up? Because he would be more than proud to show that he does not give a shit who he hurts. He'll even hurt his own son, who's the crown prince, for all he cares. Like, okay, so Zuko's banished. Ozai was so embarrassed by him that he sentenced him to go find the Avatar and leave the Fire Nation. And he's not allowed back in the Fire Nation until he finds the Avatar. So, Zuko, Zuko is now doing what his great-grandfather did until he died. Probably stuff that his other, that his grandfather did. And what Ozai has set people to do. Essentially, Zuko is, like, never coming home. Because if three people couldn't do it, how is he supposed to do it, too? Especially a hundred years later. Katara's giving her, her speech again. Saying that Aang gives people hope. Hope of things to get better. Hope that, you know, that he's going to come in and save the day. Or in Zuko's case, gives him hope to get his honor back. Unfortunately, at Aang's expense. Oh, and then, like, my favorite part of this episode is Zuko meditating and then getting flashbacks. So, first flashback is Zuko, Azula, and Ozai running around in Ember Island. And then the second one is Ozai with his hand on Zuko's back looking towards the ocean. And this is for sure Ozai, not Iroh, because of the robes. Only the Fire Lord wears robes with that many shoulder spikes. Iroh only has one on each shoulder. And then 19 minutes, 12 seconds, we have a happy Zuko. A happy 13-year-old boy with more calyx in his hair. And then the transition, oh my gosh, the transition here blends into an angry, hurt, 16-year-old Zuko. I love that transition. I think it's fantastic. 
But I, I just, I love these flashbacks. So they were actually painted by Brian Konitsko and Brian Evans. But he is taken out of his meditation when their ship gets hit with lightning. And at the same time, the fisherman's wife comes into the cave. How, how, how did she get here? Because when Katara goes to find the cave, it almost looks as if you need a flying bison to get there. Or if, like, how does one get there? Maybe she's an earthbender, who knows? But somehow she was able to get there and is asking for help. How did she know that they were there in the first place? I don't know. But the storm's clearly getting worse and Sokka and the fisherman have not gotten back yet. So now Aang, Appa, and Katara leave to go rescue them while Momo stays with the lady. Going back to Zuko's ship, their ship was hit at the watchtower and then the helmsman that was up there is dangling for his life. So Zuko and Lieutenant G are racing up the ladder to go help him. 20 minutes, 10 seconds. This is the first time that we see Iroh redirect lightning. I have like 10 exclamation points for this. So he gets a little bit toasty, but he still does it. <laughs> this is a method that he created by himself after studying waterbenders. So the idea is to take the energy from the lightning and let it flow through your body and then be its guide. Once it's generated, you're just now guiding the flow and then you can redirect it elsewhere. Yeah, Iris says he, he learned this by studying the waterbenders and, you know, using its energy and letting it flow against you. So a strategy with the waterbending is that you use your enemy's energy against them. That's kind of how Iroh invented this move. But my question is, like, how did he study waterbenders? Did he study them through war? Like, at one point in his life, did he go up to the Northern Water Tribe and try to take it? And that's how we learned through them? Because there is no way that they let him come through there and just study and then let him leave. He's the Fire Lord's son. Or he was the Fire Lord's son. He was about to be Fire Lord. Like, they would never let him do that willingly. No. I am assuming he, he was able to observe them while he was out on the seas as a war general, but that's just my opinion. So he redirects the lightning. Zuko then saves the helmsman because he falls from the watchtower. So he's able to grab his hand and then he hands him over to G and then they exchange a nice little smile between them. So it seems like all is forgiven. It looks like they're pretty much saved. But Sokka and the, the fishermen are not saved yet. So Aang is guiding Appa and Katara through the storm. A huge wave is about to swallow them, but then he airbends a hole through it so that Appa is able to fly through. And they find the boat. It's almost wrecked. He's able to save them. At this time, though, Zuko actually spots him through the air and in the water, but decides to let him go so that he can get his people to safety, which is great compared to how he was in the first couple minutes of this episode, how he said, I could give two shits about anybody to let this guy, let the avatar go. I need to get my people safe. That is growth all within 20 minutes. Not actually 20 minutes though, because this is 20 minutes our time, but <laughs> Sokka and the fishermen are on the boat. Aang ties a rope around them, and then just drags them onto Appa. So they're all saved for now, but there's this huge wave that's coming at them again, and this time it actually does swallow them whole. So now everybody is 
in the water and they're about to drown. So they're all drowning, they're about to die, but then Aang goes into the Avatar state again for the second time in the episode. Woohoo! Well, technically it's the third time because we see him do it in a flashback and then he does it again in the cave and then now he does it. So yeah, three times. Wow, three times in an episode? That's crazy. So Aang, you are the head badass in charge of today's episode. So he goes and he saves everybody. And he puts them all in a little bubble again, including Appa, which is great. And then you hear some very heroic music, almost like the opening sequence. I guess it's like a, it's a different version of it, but it sounds a lot like it. So he is able to get them into the eye of the storm, I should say. While he does this, he and Zuko trade looks with one another. And I, I feel like Aang is, hmm, like, is he going to do something while I'm trying to fly out here? And Zuko just, like, just stares at him, but doesn't do anything, which is crazy. But Zuko, you know, his ship was able to get into the eye of the storm, they're safe. And he ends up apologizing to Uncle Iroh, which is unheard of. Very rarely does he apologize, but he actually apologized to him after he kind of blew him off earlier, so... They're safe, even though Aang literally just flew past him, he didn't do anything, which is is a lot for Zuko. So Zuko claps to you for your growth in this episode. Aang takes him back to the cave. Everybody is dry again. Sokka asks for his payment and he only gets paid one fish and that's it. The scene then flips over to Aang and Katara, but while they are talking, you can see in the background the fisherman and his wife are arguing while Sokka just kind of like hangs his head, all sad. I'm assuming that the, the wife is yelling at the fisherman that, you know, you should you should pay him more. Like, this boy went out there in this storm with you and all you're gonna do is give him a fish for three people and a bison and a lemur? Like, <laughs> what? That's funny. I, I like that that's in the background. Not in the background is Aang slowly accepting his destiny as the Avatar. So he thought about what Katara said and he realizes that she's right. He understands that everything happens for a reason. You know, there's a reason why he, he ran away. There's a reason why he was frozen for a hundred years is because now he has the ability to help the world. He's not going to dwell on the past anymore, which is good because he wouldn't have been able to move on to the future if he's so hung up with the past. The storm is done at the same time that Aang accepts his fate. I love that. I love that little detail right there. And then the episode ends with Appa getting everybody wet with the rain that was on his fur, which is great. I love when animals do that so much. It's so great, especially when it's muddy and they do it in your house. It's great. <laughs> so that's the end of the storm. This is a great episode, everybody. This is, this is great. I think this episode actually has like a nine... Yeah, so it actually has a 9.1 out of 10 on IMDb, so apparently other people think it's a good episode too. And it is ranked 19 out of... Oh, they have... They have the chibis listed on here as actual episodes, but those are not episodes, everybody. Those are little extras. So, out of 61, they're... I, th I think they're 61. You'd think I would know, because I'm doing a podcast on it. 
Yeah, 61. Okay, I, I knew I was right. So on Twitter and Instagram, I had asked whose story was more sad. Over 70% of everybody said Zuko's was. And before, I used to say both stories are equally sad, I can't choose. But now that I, like, dove deeper into it, I, I would also say Zuko's is sad as well. I mean, Aang's is... Aang's is sad. You know, he he lost his father figure. Everybody that he knew and loved is dead. His entire culture's gone. But he has more hope, I guess. Whereas Zuko was publicly abused by his father. A lot of other people know about it. And he has to walk around with the mark on his face and is constantly reminded of what happened to him. And now he has to work to get through it. I don't take abuse lightly. So I would definitely have to say that Zuko's is much sadder. Well, we are ending on a very dark, dark moment here. <laughs> Oops. All right. Well, I didn't get any messenger hawks. But again, if you want to send anything in, different ways to do that, Twitter, Instagram, email, feel free to look at the links in my bio. There's other ways to connect with me there. I have some resources on USPS and Black Lives Matter in there as well. If you wanted to take a look at those and see how you can help. What else? Oh, if you wanted to join the podcast and be part of the party, let me know. I already have someone for the fortune teller and then I have someone joining for, I believe, Bato of the Southern Water Tribe. So feel free to, to email me and let me know what you, what episode you want to join. And then I was also thinking, when we get to the end of book one, I was going to do some sort of giveaway. I don't know what I'm going to give away yet. <laughs> I don't know what people want. Ugh, I don't know what people want. Maybe something from box lunch gifts, maybe one of the comics or the books. I don't know. I don't know what people would want, but I'm not going to make it like difficult or anything like that. I just, just want to do a giveaway in celebration of being done book one. So that's not for a couple of weeks. I think that's like 10 weeks from now. So just think about that. Let me know what you would want to participate or what like giveaway you would want to participate in. And I will, I'll think of something. So, <laughs> so that is the end of episode 12 of HPH. I will see you next week for, ooh, next week is the blue spirit. My favorite episode. Oh my gosh. I'm so excited. Okay. Bye. Thanks for listening in and sending me things to talk about. Write an email to hellopodcasthere at gmail.com for any questions, feedback, or things you want to hear about for future episodes. Follow me on Instagram at hellopodcasthere and on Twitter at atlapodcast. That's A-T-L-A podcast for all the latest updates. My website is coming soon. Disclaimers, I am not associated with Nickelodeon, Avatar The Lost Airbender, The Legend of Korra, or anything related to the contents discussed in this podcast. I'm not being paid to talk about or promote Avatar The Lost Airbender, I'm just a fan of the show. Hello Podcast Here, an Avatar Podcast Party is created using the Anchor app.